mean, if you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to continue our walk through Acts chapter 17. We're going to be going through 16 through 21. And in many ways, we're just going to be setting the stage, if you will, for Paul's sermon next week. And uh, literally, this morning and this evening, and I'm, I'm encouraged of how much stuff there is here. Now, I have a confession to make to you this morning. There are times on Sunday mornings when I am spiritually and emotionally ready to communicate God's Word to you. This morning is not one of those mornings. So this morning I'm going to do my very best to teach God's Word to you passionately and as accurately as I humanly can, not because I am emotionally just right, but because His Word is true and it's worthy. So picking up in verse 17, or 16, yeah, 16 of chapter 17, it goes like this. Well, let's grab some context. Paul is forced out of Berea, and he travels around 200 miles to Athens. And we pick up in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them, who's them? Timothy and Silas. At Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he was observing the city full of idols. Maybe this passage can relate to me a little bit this morning as his emotions were welling up as well. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day for those who happened to just be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers came around conversing with Paul. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say to us? How many here just feel like that's a good way to get to know someone, isn't it? Just kind of start out with, you're stupid, you know? What does this idle babbler have to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. All the the fine nuance of that that I wish we could pull out this morning. We'll pull it out tonight. And they took him and they brought him to a place that starts with the letter A. Shall I try it? You want me to try it? Asparagus. saying, may we know that that what this new teaching is that you are proclaiming, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. And then Luke wrote in the margin of the original text, in your Bible, it's probably a parenthetical note, it's in parentheses, he wrote in the margin there, now all the Athenians, that is, people in Athens, Athenians, And the strangers visiting there used to spend all of their time in nothing other than telling and hearing something new. With that, there's already too much context and application for us to go any further than to unpack that. But let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and we'll walk through this together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you because you are God and we are not. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for your son. Our one request, Lord, 
is not that we would be at a church where we like all the songs or we agree with all the points or we all think the same politically. But Father, we are here because we want to know Christ more. May our fellowship and our unity be based on what we share in common with you. Father, I confess my sins in front of these people. Lord, you know Help me to teach your word even when I fail. I love you, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would, in, would fill and empower me this morning. That when these people leave here, they just want more Christ. And so, Father, I pray these things and I ask them in your Son's precious and holy name. And if you are here this morning, say amen. Wow, okay, you're here. Have you ever been bored? <laughs> That's a question to ask someone who comes to church, right? Have you ever been bored? Yeah, usually between the hours of 11 and 12 on Sundays. You ever get bored? Have you ever had to wait for someone that you are waiting to meet up with? How many here remember meeting up with someone prior to cell phone, internet, and smoke signals, and you would meet on the highway, exit 32, at 1.30 in the afternoon, and then you just hoped upon hope that no one missed that date to that time too much? You guys remember that at all? And there was no way to contact one another. That's what's going on here in this text. Paul is waiting. And this is all before communication that we have today, before smartphones. I was thinking about that this week. Before smartphones, people actually waited in waiting rooms by simply, you ready for this? Waiting. That's all they did. You waited in the waiting room. That's why we called it, you ready for this? The waiting room. There was no games, no Facebook, no email, no candy splicing or tick and talk. There was nothing like that. Now everyone waits in the waiting room by doing what? Anyone at all? What do we do? We stare at our phones. Sometimes when I go to the dentist, which is biannually, but when I go to the dentist or any other place where I have to wait, I purposely don't look at my phone and I just wait. And I'll be the only one in that room not doing that. And people will start to get nervous. Why is this guy not looking at his phone? Is he about to die? Is he contemplating life? Does he have a bomb strapped to his chest? Or worse, is he going to talk to me? Oh, please let it be a bomb. And then it happens. I will look at someone and say, hi. Waiting. That's what Paul is doing right now. You can see it right there in the text in verse 16. Take a look at that. And while Paul was waiting for them in Athens. Now, Paul traveled from Berea, who searched the scriptures, to Athens, which is around 200 mile journey at this time. And he arrived there to wait for Timothy and Silas to catch up with him. And while he is waiting... How many here 
find yourself in a little eddy of time where you don't have things pinned down or delegated and what you got to do. And all of a sudden you just have some time and you don't know what to do with it. So you do nothing and you just love it. Anyone at all? Paul's in this place. But here's the thing. He doesn't remain idle. He's proactive. It's, It's an interesting thing here. He did not remain idle. He was about his father's business, much like Jesus was about his father's business. Here's our first question already. Are we about our father's business? I want you to picture this. This is a beautiful picture. Go ahead and go back a couple thousand years. You're going to walk on the the cobblestones of of the city of Athens. Paul's walking in. Now, it's important to understand, and this will be important when we pull it out this evening, which I can't wait to share with you what I found in the text for this evening. But he walks in. Now, Athens is the religious center of the entire world at this time. And by religious, I mean every religion, every philosophy, every, every one of those things were present. Polytheism, pantheism, agnosticism, everything was there. Because of this, there were statues and idols of almost every pagan god. Every pagan god imaginable. There were even altars to gods that were, that were declared to the unknown god that we don't even know about yet. There were statues everywhere. By the way, every public building in Athens was dedicated to a pagan god. Sometimes one, sometimes two or three. They would dedicate their buildings by putting pagan altars into the gods there. On top of this, actually, one ancient author by the name Petronius sarcastically wrote this a couple thousand years ago. He said this, it is easier to find a God than a man in the streets of Athens. It was easier to find a God than a man in the streets of Athens because it was absolutely full of idols. Now, while sarcastic, the statistic did bear out. Within historical writing, we find that in a town of around 10,000 people, there were over 20,000 idols in that town. We see this truth just pop out into the text where you see here. And he was observing that the city was full of idols. A, a, a two-to-one ratio. By the way, this is the home of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. One philosopher by the name of Ovid simply declared Athens, learned Athens. They were, they were, they were intelligent beyond all other areas. So as Paul waits, that's what's going on here. As Paul waits for his friends, he walks down the streets of Athens and sees all these idols. And it says here, his spirit was provoked within him. The word provoked means here, he despised them. He reviled them. He was angry at all that he had saw. MacArthur sums this up well when he says, Paul hated idolatry because it robbed God of his glory. It robbed God of his glory. I want to stop here and I want to ask you and I want to ask me, I want to ask us our first question of application. And and here it is. Do we get appropriately, and that's the important word there, appropriately upset when God is robbed of his glory? 
But let's move that question just a little bit further for all of us. Do we get upset when we rob God of His glory in our own lives? When we worship idols of our own makings? Maybe we got a two-to-one ratio of idols in our own lives, whether that idol be another person, someone who you would abandon God in His law for rather than worship God. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's a hobby. My friends, if we do not experience any eruptions in our heart when we play something higher than Christ, it's really only for two possible reasons. And here are the two reasons. Number one, we don't know Christ. And while we are religious, we are still lost in our sins and we are not his child. Or it could be another one right here that we have become apathetic to God. Both are a very dangerous place to be. But now Paul, whether he knows it or not, is going to teach us what to do with emotion. He's going to teach us what to do with emotion. One of the most damaging things in our lives is not to channel emotion. May I give you just some practical advice here that I fail at often. How many here ever give advice and go, I should probably do that myself? Anyone at all? I got to tell you, one of the most humbling things I do in my life is counseling. You know, I'm giving people the pearls of wisdom out of my mouth, and I'm like, I really ought to make a necklace out of this too. But Paul's going to give us some practical advice. When you experience extreme emotion... And that we must channel it or it will eat us up from the inside out and destroy our lives. You see, when we experience emotion or pain or anger or hurt or even elation, we must put one simple word after how we feel. And that word is right up there. It's the word so. So. So what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with how you feel? It is in asking this simple question that we force ourselves to think and to plan. So is a word that channels our emotion into action. In fact, look at it here. It says here, so Paul channeled his anger. He channeled his emotion into action. And we see it right here. He went into the synagogue. So because he despised these idols and he despised the the idolatry there, he went into the synagogue, which was his practice, to the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. Now I want you to notice something here. Here's our next application. Notice he didn't get together with people who who thought just like him to talk about how bad the world is or talk about how angry the world makes them while doing nothing about it. He channeled that emotion. My friends, emotion is a fuel. It can blow us up or it can drive us forward. If you channel it, it'll drive you forward. If you harbor it, it will blow you up. So, there's the word, he reaches out. He uses it. And it didn't end there. It went beyond uh, those who were most like him. It went beyond those who were most like him. He started with Jews, all right? And what I put up here, Jewish Gentiles, proselytes, God-fearing Gentiles. But he moved past that. He just didn't stay there. Recently, I, I was uh, hearing, heard about a, a person who was talking about how they, they loved the church that they went to. And so my mind automatically goes, well, that's fantastic. How many here think it's probably a good idea that you like going to the church in which you're a member? Anyone at all? How many here have not had that? Except for Trinity, of course, right? 
And I'm listening to this, and they're like, I really, I, I just love where our church is at. And in my mind, the, the, the natural question, what is the natural question that comes to your mind when someone says, I love my church? What's the question that comes to your mind? Okay, what church? Where's it located, right? Why? Why? And the answer that came out is because it's full of people. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to hear that live out the gospel of Jesus Christ, that are hungry for his word, that are, that are Bereans and search the scriptures and will abandon traditional hermeneutics if it is about the authority of God's word. And I'm, I'm thinking of all of these things, and the answer that comes out is because all of the people there are of the same mind politically. That's why you like your church? How many remember how, how diverse the church in Philippi was? Anyone remember that? You have Lydia. You had a former slave girl that was, that was uh, delivered from her demon. And, and, and you had the Roman guard. And you had the inmates. And you had the seller of purple. And you had his family. That was the original church in Philippi. This would be like Lydia saying, Thank God, there's no Roman guards in our church. Let me tell you what I hear when I hear this. I really like the church because it's full of people I can love in a way that does not require any sacrifice. That does not require any tolerance. My friends, people who are different from us, as taxing as they may be. How many here can affirm with an amen, there are certain personality types that just start on your last nerve? Amen? Anyone at all? Anyone here say, I've just fully loved every person I've ever met. Anyone at all? How many liars do we have in here? You know? But it's those people. It's those people that demand and draw out of us sacrificial love. The gospel. Look what Paul does here. He moves past his easy zone. We all vote the same. And he went into the marketplace. What is he cruising for? A bruise in here? He went into the marketplace every day in between the Sabbath to those who just happened to be present. He's in the waiting room and he's not looking at his phone and he said, hi. Paul channeled his emotion and his anger into loving action. Rather than group think or echo chamber sessions, he created an opportunity to share with those who could not be more different from him. And by more different from him, this is going to be really exciting here, all right? Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers he started talking to. How many here, with an affirmation of an amen, say, I can't stand those Epicureans? Anyone at all? Let me tell you, you know a lot of them. Let me tell you, you might see the stain on our own hands. Let me unpack this here, all right? These two groups, the Stoics and the Epicureans, represent then, and just as much now, today, they represent all popular alternatives to faith in Jesus Christ. They are the bookends. You got the Epicureans over here, and you got the Stoics. Hate the Stoics, but the Stoics are over here. Which, by the way, comes from the word stoa, which means to teach. 
And they couldn't be more opposite. And then you have everything in between. They are the bookends. And they are the same bookends we have today. Allow me to show you this. Allow me to unpack this. Epicureans thought, now grab this, this is so cool. Epicureans, looks like we're a little ahead. Hit backwards once. There it is. I don't want to ruin the surprise, all right? The Epicure, I know, you're like, really? Okay. The Epicureans thought, now grab this, that pleasure and the avoidance of pain were the chief end of man. How many here are glad that philosophy is dead today? Pleasure in the avoidance of pain is the chief end of man. This, must, this might as well just be called the Boomsma small group. All of us can relate to this. By the way, the Epicureans are indifferent to gods. They are, if you could, almost be agnostic in many ways. Because of this, grab this, because here we are in America, right? And we wouldn't see ourselves as Epicureans in thought, but grab this. Because of pleasure and the avoidance of pain, this led to the worship of, get get ready for this, materialism. How many are thankful within a capitalistic society, materialism is dead? They believe that gods might exist, but it's impossible to know. You know what was birthed out of this? Humanism. Humanism. Now, in short, this group, if I could simplify it, represented this. Materialistic agnostics who live for today. One philosopher summed it up like this. He said, nothing to fear in God, nothing to feel in death. We are pleasure seekers. Now the Stoics are on the other side of the bookend, all right? From the word stoa, which means to teach, they represented the opposite of the Epicurean thought. They were pantheists. They argued for the unity of humanity with divinity. If I could summarize it, they were, they were spiritualists. Rather than pursuing self-pleasure, they believed in self-mastery, obedience, and discipline. To summarize this all out, these two groups represent all attempts of humanity to live a life void of Jesus Christ. F.F. Bruce hits a home run when he says this, Even in our day, attempts to live absent from Christ have not produced anything better. It's still here. And I would add, anything new. So what we have here are two bookends. We have humanism, humanism, materialism, and we have spiritualism, but nothing could be exclusive. Certainly not the exclusivity of this new God, the strange God, Jesus, and his goddess resurrection. Now that might pique your interest. We'll unpack that tonight, all right? What we have here is humanism and spiritualism as Paul is in the waiting room. Now, if you're anything like me, you'll notice we don't have any more room. But I have a new tool in my... So what we're going to do, because we're out of room and we've got to stay in these verses, what we're going to do is we're going to begin to erase it with what I would call only a pastoral force that you won't understand, all right? I've just created 45 minutes worth of space. I'm teasing. Now, let's see here. Where in the world am I? 
This is interesting. You ever notice that people will say Christianity is divisive within our culture? How many feel that as a Christian you are really valued in our culture? Anyone at all? Anyone just walk around and go, yep, that's right. But truth of the matter is, Christianity is divisive and as hated as it may be within the world. And I don't say that as some kind of martyr's complex. Jesus said, don't be surprised when the world, what? Talk to me. Hate you because the world first hated what? Me. Christianity in many ways is a very uniting thing to our culture. Allow me to explain. You ever notice in our culture today, it seems that the one unifying thing in our world is that everyone has contempt for Christ? It doesn't matter how different people are, they will find unity in the fact that they reject Christ and his followers. Look at these two groups. They couldn't be any more different. They, they would sit at the same lunch table if their lives depended on it. Yet they are united in their contempt for Paul. We see it here. Now I love this. What, what, what would this idle babbler like to say to us? How to make friends and influence enemies right here, folks. The word idle babbler comes from the, from the meaning a seed picker. The, the, the newest version, of, did you know there are three versions of the new American Standard Version? Anyone know that at all? How many here are big enough nerds to know that? Anyone at all? I figured it out this week. It's one of the reasons why you see different versions of the ASB every week because I forget which one I'm drawing from. The newest version says, scavengers of words. The imagery is that of, now grab this, of a bird picking up a seed and flying away. Picking up a seed and flying away. The Aramaic Bible, all right, which is very literal in its translation, says this. What does this collector of words want? This is an ancient idiom. It is an insult to mean this. A person who picks up little bits of information and then flies away, passing it off as if he knows everything about the subject. How many are thankful that's dead? Anyone at all? We have another word for this in our culture. We, they said seed picker. You ready back there? Ready with the button? When I say, tell me when you're ready. Is that... Are you, I see one finger, and I hope it's the appropriate finger. Okay, now, we have a different word for this than se- babbler or seed picker. We have a word for it. You ready for this? It's called mainstream media. Have you ever been insulted? Have you ever been insulted that it's gone past the line? Anyone at all? Like, yes, I may be this, this, and that, but how dare you... Let me tell you how insulting they are to Paul. You ready for this? They called him a journalist. How dare you, good sir? A journalist? How dare you? That's too far. Now, time out here. Can I show you something fun and interesting within the Word of God? Fun and interesting in the Word of God. Luke is writing this down for us, right? He is the author. He wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. Basically, book one and book two. Now, in book two, as Luke writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, yet through his personality as a medical professional, he noticed some amazing irony in here. And how many here have ever just said, I couldn't help myself? And words came out of your mouth. Anyone at all? 
How many of those words you wish you could grab in the air and pull back? <laughs> Who said all of them? Was that you, Terry? I agree with you, Terry. All right? I'm joking. I'm joking. That was a joke, folks. All right? Of course, they couldn't help. So Paul, under, or Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, can't help himself. And he, he looks at this, and in his personality, he notices just too much irony. So he writes something down in the margin of his original letter, and you can see it within the text in the parenthetical notes there at the very end, verse 21. He writes something here that's kind of humorous. You see, verse 21 is a parenthetical note, and he says this about Paul being called a seed picker, about Paul being called a journalist, someone who just grabs a little kernel of truth and runs away and pretends they know everything about it. He writes this. He says, wait a minute. All of the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend all of their time on nothing other than telling and hearing something new. Luke writes a little side note and says, People in Athens spend all their time picking out new things. And because it is the intellectual center of the world, students would come there, i.e. the word strangers visiting, and they would walk away as though they know it all. Today we call this undergraduate studies. No, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing, but I'm not. How many here, okay, how many here are are 25 years of age or older. Anyone at all? Just, there it is. All right. Now, now this is going to you know, cross-pollinate a lot. Uh, I'm talking generally. But if you, if you have experienced this in your life, affirm it with a, a, a yes. All right. Have you ever noticed you know everything between the ages of 14 and 24? If you've ever experienced that, say yes. I was stunningly brilliant at 22. I mean, you couldn't correct nothing. I had all the answers. I was brilliant. My family would agree with that. All right, well, they weren't around. But, but <laughs> I was brilliant. Now I'm impressed if I can remember if I've washed my hair immediately after washing my hair. Am I alone on that? Have you ever been in the shower and you get done and you're like, did I just do that? Did I... Did I wash my hair? And so you're pulling on it to see if it's squeaky clean. And I don't remember. I better wash it again. Am I alone on that? How many here? Okay, who said yes? Who's, oh, the amen corner over there. Former Methodists, all right? <laughs> How many here also notice that if given the option, you will always pick up the conditioner bottle first? Anyone at all? Okay, just me. I take very long showers. Let's move forward. Not in the text, all right? Luke is having fun here. Luke is having a little fun here. He is pulling from the comment, who, are these seed, who is a seed picker that they called Paul? Someone who picks up little bits of information that pretends to know the whole story. I'm going to put this back here. All right. They call Paul seed pickers when it was the Athens that were known to be seed pickers. The intellectual Athenians were the seed pickers. And he goes, you're calling him this. Have you ever said the words, no, that's rich? What does that mean? Raise your hand if you know what that means, other than money. 
that, now that is rich. What does that mean? Okay, thank you for your participation. I, I will raise my hand here. It means that, that, that someone is accusing you or me of, of something that they are most known for. It would be as though I, as a Shiite Dutch man, all right, who's all four tributaries of genetics is Shiite Dutch from the Netherlands, and which, by the way, makes me what? Talk to me. Holy. (laughs) Generally speaking, yes, all right, but real close to holiness is what? That's like me looking at all other groups of people and going, why are you so cheap? You would say, well, that's rich. Because you're calling me what you're known for. That's what's going on here. And so Luke writes in the margins of the notes here. He writes, man, a living. Paul's a seed picker. That is rich. They call Paul a seed picker. And Athens lives in a stinking birdhouse. My friends, not only have things not changed in this case, I fair say they've gotten even worse. And there's going to, here comes one of our primary applications. We live in a world that is centered around seed picking. Seed picking. We pick words and ideas and then we pass ourselves off as if we are experts. I've been guilty of that. Maybe you have, but certainly our society has. I won't spend much time here, but do you remember what the last two years were like? Anyone at all? I heard horrible, yes, in so many ways. Simply by watching a three-minute video on Facebook by a person that tells us what we already decided we wanted to hear, within minutes, the state of Michigan was ushered in thousands upon thousands of additional experts on everything. We had thousands of senior pastors on how the church should run, thousands of epidemiologists, civil rights attorneys, constitutional law professors. And it's gotten even worse from there. It seemed like every sentence during the pandemic started with the words, not, hey, how are you? It started with, study show. That's how every sentence started. I thought for a while there, my name was studies show, hyphenated. Now that I've scratched that itch, let's get back to the text. Did you know that according to an article within The Economist, Facebook and Twitter are becoming less used and popular for young people and people in general to get their information from because it requires too much reading? How many here have noticed, even within your Google search, in the parentheses it will say, estimated reading time, four minutes? Anyone at all seen that? And you're like, four minutes? There's got to be something shorter. And there usually is, a little video or something. I don't even know what we're talking about. Yes, I do. Too much reading. I want you to think about that. Facebook and Twitter, too much reading. How many characters are allowed in Twitter? Is it 280? Close enough. I'm an expert at Twitter, all right? 280 characters. Not words. Letters. Has become too text-intensive. So now our culture is turning to tick and talk in YouTube to be informed on issues. Have you ever noticed even more people, even though now all of our information is coming over YouTube videos and TikToks, that we have more experts now than we've ever had? 
Vox puts out a 90-second video, and our generation is fully informed on all issues, cannot be moved, and won't even listen to the noise coming out of someone's mouth. How many people, I'm going to pull out an ancient artifact. <laughs> it's dangerous. You just can't, can't a novice can't do, just handle this. How many here remember this thing right here? How many here love the smell of fresh ink? Anyone at all? How many have ever gotten a new book, never read it, but just... It's like Christian crack, you know? I line up my new Bible. I've seen on videos. How many here remember reading the newspaper before 1990? Anyone at all? Remember, what's that? That no, uh, that was the sports section. Lions are going to win it all. <laughs> How many here remember USA Today? Anyone at all? That was the first step down to Stupidville. I couldn't even find a USA Today. Please don't bring me one this week. I won't read it. I might sniff it, but I won't read it. All right. I couldn't even find a USA Today. But let's pretend this is one. They, they came up with a newspaper that, that dumbed everything down. It was, it, was, it was the first paper to have color pictures and big, bold headlines. And everything had to be written in very short amount of words, like 500 words or less. It would have a picture of the economy going down with the title, Economy Going Down, with 500 words describing these two things, that the economy is going down. It was the first pop-up picture book for adults. You had to risk paper cuts. You had to do this, this, this. Apparently Trump did something wrong here. Can you imagine this today? Giving USA to a today, a person in our saturated culture, can you see them tapping the paper? Wondering why the hyperlink and video won't pop up? Now why do I bring this up? Here it is. My friends, we live in a world of seed pickers who because of their Epicurean tendency, I hope all of the, see, all of this is not to waste your time and impress you with historical. I want all of this to start to backfill your mind as you hear the application. We live in a world of seed pickers who because of their Epicurean tendencies and their love for pleasure pleasure and no accountability to God, pick up kernels of half-truth like hungry birds and fly away proclaiming that they know it all and they do not. But that's not good enough. For too long the church has looked outside of the windows and said they don't know as much as they should. Here's my point. Don't let seed pickers tell you what is true. TikTok and cable news with an echo chamber of Epicurean philosophers do not equal intellectual integrity and truth regardless of the expert panel of homogenous thought that may be screaming the loudest. 
But the question that rises more important than that is this. It is not enough for us to point to the world and say they're seed pickers while we remain seed pickers in our faith. Especially as it relates to knowing the Word of God. Here's the question. Are we seed pickers? Are we seed pickers in the church? Are we seed pickers with our approach to the Word of God? Can we defend what we say we believe? Do we have an understanding of God's Word in such a way that we are prepared to give an answer in season and out of season? Here's the question. How are you? How am I? How are we becoming more knowledgeable and discerning in our understanding of the Word of God? Oh, my friends, let us dedicate ourselves to hunger for this book. For found within its pages is the way, the truth, and the life. My friends, we are not to be seed pickers of truth, but rather we are to be like trees planted by the river who do not fear when the heat comes. Because the more we feast on the Word of God, the more we understand that our trust is in an almighty, unfailing, truth-teaching, self-sacrificing, all-loving, mercy-giving, repentance-granting, sin-forgiving, faith-giving, life-producing, Son of the one true God, Jesus Christ. And I don't want to be a bird. I don't want to merely come on Sunday and get little seeds of truth that the pastor has chewed up into a mush and regurgitated into our hearts. I want the whole garden that is Jesus Christ and His Word. I don't want to be a bird. I want to be a deer that pants for the, 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 the water because my soul longs for the Lord. And they took Paul. And they brought him to asparagus. And they said, may we know this new teaching which you are proclaiming, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears, and we want to know what these things mean. And here's what's really interesting. It's not in my text. We'll get there in a moment. Paul reads the room, and he understands. They don't understand what he's talking about. In fact, and this is not for shock value, he realizes in a polytheistic culture, that they think he's talking about a, a pagan god named Jesus and his goddess resurrection. And he has to stop. But that's tonight. And that application will explode the application we find next week when, and I love this verse, if you would just grope and reach out for him, you would find that God is not far from anyone. And Paul will say to them, there is a creator, and you are his creation. And if you would just extend your hand into the spiritual darkness in which we live, you would find that Jesus is not far from each and every one of you. But that's next week. All we did today is set the stage for next week. So buckle up, because Paul is going to give what is quite possibly the best sermon of his life that will yield, from our perspective, the least results. 
to the most intellectual city on earth. Well, my friends, I don't know about you, but, but, but our intellectual and spiritual mouths should already be salivating for what is coming. Here it is. Don't settle for seeds. Eat the meat that is the Word of God. Know whom you have believed in. And just don't follow Jesus as time permits. Run up and grab His legs and say, You are my Lord. Oh, and by the way, Paul did all of this while waiting. We've come to the end of where we began. Maybe waiting isn't a waste of time. Maybe having a conversation with someone you've never met before as you hike is not a waste of time. but an opportunity to glorify God. Oh, if I may, let us put our phones down and engage. I love you guys. Tonight we'll dig deeper with deeper application. All to just set the stage for Peter share the gospel in a way you and I have to adapt. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you loved us before we loved you. Father, may your word change our lives. May we know it inside and out. Create with us a a hunger and a desire to know you more. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. I love you guys. Hopefully I'll see you tonight. You are dismissed. Go Lions!